Well, welcome uh, to this evening's Academy. Uh, this is the first Academy lecture here in the fall term. And uh, tonight I'm going to be talking about uh, Walter Martin, who was my former boss and my mentor when it came to Christian theology and apologetics. But I do want to remind everybody that next week I'm going to begin a series. It's going to last eight weeks. It is uh, called Learning How to Learn Study Skills 101. I'm going to be utilizing two books uh, at the Adler Van Doren text, which is for sale in the back. Uh, it's for sale for $12. That is a remarkable book. In fact, I had a master's degree, and uh, I think I'm a pretty sharp guy. But uh, I didn't read Adler's book until I was uh, well out of college, and I realized that I didn't really know much about reading. And at the Adler book revolutionized my intellectual life. Uh, I consider it one of the most important books I've ever read. And uh, we're going to be utilizing that. We're going to do to Adler's book what Adler says, tells us to do to everybody else's book. So it's going to be a course on reading and thinking uh, and speaking and learning. It's going to go for eight weeks. There is going to be a little... Uh, two parts to it because Pastor Rittebogger is going to be giving a series um, in the middle uh, and we'll also be utilizing my book, A World of Difference, primarily my chapters on logic. So the class will be about uh, developing your reading skills, developing your thinking skills, uh, your learning skills, and I've taught it a couple different times and it's been very popular. So I hope that you'll uh, consider being part of that it's a course that uh, could, could attract a lot of different types of people, uh, but I think primarily people who are adults who want to continue to sharpen their thinking skills, maybe wipe away some of the cobwebs that sneak into our mind as we get older. Uh, and it's, it's really a, a fun class to teach, and I think that it will be a great class uh, to take and study. So that's what we'll be doing next week here. Well, let's begin with a, with a prayer, and then we'll go into uh, a discussion of uh, the distinguished Christian apologist, Walter Martin. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Academy. We thank you that uh, at Christ Reformed Church, our church is, uh, is a school. It's a place, of course, Lord, that we come to worship you, to receive the Lord's Supper, uh, to study your word, uh, to fellowship with one another, to encourage each other, to help each other. But Lord, we also come uh, to learn and to think and to grow and to utilize the faculties and qualities that you have given us that are part of being made in your image. So Lord, we ask a great blessing upon the Academy as it begins this fall. Lord, we thank you for the uh, apologists, theologians, Christian thinkers, who have been part of our life, our pastors, our friends, who have encouraged us. And Lord, I am very thankful for my old friend and uh, mentor in the faith, Walter Martin. Bless us as we talk about his life uh, and how you utilized him to influence people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let me begin by asking you, how many of you are familiar with Walter Martin? You heard him speak, read one of his books, uh, looks like most of you uh, are familiar with uh, Walter Martin. Dr. Martin, of course, was the original Bible answer man. Uh, he uh, 
began doing that program in the early 1960s. In fact, he and Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was one of his uh, mentors, uh, talked him into doing a program called the Bible Answer Man. I'm not sure I'd ever want to uh, be responsible as the Bible Answer Man. That seems like an awfully intimidating uh, program to be able to, to, to do. Uh, I co-hosted that program after Walter passed away in 1989, and it was always a very challenging and difficult program. But I have to say, if there ever was a Bible Answer Man on the face of the earth, it was Walter Martin. Uh, he was an incredibly thoughtful individual and knew the Bible very, very well and had many skills of communication. So let's begin talking a little bit uh, about him. Walter Ralston Martin was born September 10th, 1928 in New York, and he died June 26, 1989 here in California. So he lived much of his life uh, in New York City in Brooklyn. Uh, then a bit later in life, moved to California and began uh, and continued, I might say, his apologetic ministry. Uh, this summer, uh, in fact, June 26th, it marks the 20th anniversary of his death. And therefore, I asked uh, Pastor Rittabagger if I could uh, mark that anniversary by commemorating uh, Walter Martin's very important life uh, and ministry. I think Walter Martin was one of the most unique apologists of the 20th century. Uh, I don't think anybody living today could really kind of match him in, in certain respects. He was really a remarkable person. To give you a little background on Walter, he was an ordained Southern Baptist minister and theologian. Uh, he was also an apologist of historic Christianity. And many people today widely consider him the father of the evangelical countercult movement. Before Martin, there were very few, if any, people writing and talking and lecturing about the growing religious movements that we so commonly know today as Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, Christian science, uh, etc., but many of these groups came out of the 19th century and they have grown very rapidly. Uh, you know, the Mormons have uh, 13, 14, 15 million people. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't have those kinds of numbers, but they're very influential. A lot of different groups came out of the 19th century. And Martin was one of the first people to draw attention uh, to these groups and to uh, mark how they differed. Uh, from historic Christianity. Here is one of his earliest books called The Rise of the Cults. I think he was working on this book actually in the late 50s and early 60s. And uh, it has chapters on all of the major heretical sects, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christian Science. Uh, in those days, Seventh-day Adventism was included in that particular group. I'll say more about the Adventists a bit later because Martin had a big influence on how evangelicals came to view Seventh-day Adventism. But The Rise of the Cults was one of his early books. Here's, of course, a photograph of Martin doing the Bible Answer Man. Uh, he never had anything in front of him except the Bible. He uh, didn't have a computer in front of him. He didn't have any resources. Uh, Martin had a remarkable intellect. I know because I was often uh, looking through the window uh, in the studio there at the... Uh, a Christian Research Institute, and all he had was his Bible. Great memory, 
very ordered mind uh, and was able to recall things. I, I think he had uh, a photographic memory. Uh, he was he was really uh, a very interesting person. Uh, he was able to pull information out of his mind. Walter Martin, of course, founded the Christian Research Institute called CRI in 1960. Uh, and it was it was to be a center for the study of new religious movements. Of course, that's what we call them now. In his day, we called them cults. But to call a group a cult today is considered rather intolerant. Uh, but that's what Walter's ministry was largely about. But it wasn't only that. He was interested also in the broader areas of apologetics. In fact, he had a graduate degree uh, in philosophy. So he was uh, well well-schooled in the various uh, systems of thought. And as I mentioned, he was the original creator and host of the Bible Answer Man radio program. I've done the program. I've known many people who have done the program. Uh, I don't think anybody does the program as well as Walter did. He just seemed to have that unique knack of being able to answer people's questions on a variety of topics. Walter Martin authored... uh, some 12 different books, including his uh, most important work, uh, his magnum opus, if you will, entitled The Kingdom of the Cults, which came out in 1965. And it is still considered by conservative evangelical cult watchers and apologists to be the definitive uh, Christian analysis of religious groups that arose here in America. And uh, a recent uh, little note was that the book has sold more than 750,000 copies. That's, uh, that's really a large number for a book like Walter Martin's. Uh, my book, without a doubt, Baker told me that my book has sold pretty well. It's sold 20,000 copies. It's only been out a few years. But that's not bad. Uh, Martin's book is pretty technical and it's sold three quarters of a million. That's really a large number. Of course, nobody can touch uh, some of these books on end times, left behind. These books, uh, the numbers of books they've sold are are really an incredible number. But three quarters of a million of a very serious analysis of religious movements uh, uh, from a Christian point of view is a book that's sold uh, pretty well. Here, of course, is a number of photographs of the book in the various editions. Uh, I think I have uh, one of the earliest editions here in white. Uh, It was uh, redone when Walter was living. It was revised, and it's been revised a couple times in the 20 years since uh, Martin's passing. The latest version is uh, edited by Rabbi Zacharias, uh, who is an apologist and uh, interested in new religious movements as well. And uh, the Martin family has been influential in getting that book uh, revised and back in print. So it is still there and still helping many people when it comes to uh, the counterfeit religions of the 19th century. Martin was an avid debater and squared off with such critics of historic Christianity as the atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare. He debated liberal uh, scholars such as Hugh Schoenfield, who uh, wrote the book, The Passover Plot, uh, that said Jesus didn't die on the cross. He only swooned and then was able to persuade his disciples that he was risen from the dead. 
Uh, in the 1960s, Martin debated the death of God theologian Thomas J.J. Altizer. He also, uh, in fact, the weekend before Martin died, Martin debated the liberal uh, uh, Episcopal minister, Bishop John Shelby Spong on the John Ankerberg program. And uh, some of you might remember Roy Masters, who uh, was an influential person on radio and had kind of a, kind of an Eastern mystical orientation. Walter ended up debating Roy Masters as well. He appeared on, several times on the John Ankerberg program, which of course airs in, in many parts of the country. He debated members or representatives of Freemasonry, uh, the Baha'i faith or religion, and various other groups. So Martin was not afraid to uh, take off the gloves, so to speak, and debate people. Uh, here is uh, some of the uh, uh, programs that are still available from the John Ankerberg program, where Martin was a regular visitor being interviewed or debating uh, people uh, in the area of religion. Martin also debated the Jesuit scholar Father Mitchell Pacwa and Seventh-day Adventist leader William Johnson on the Ankerberg television program. I remember the debate with Mitch Pacwa. Uh, Mitch and I have debated and dialogued uh, a number of times since Walter's passing, but Mitchell Pacwa thought very highly of Walter Martin, uh, respected him and uh, considered him to be a very thoughtful uh, and uh, able defender of the Christian faith. Uh, here is a, a couple of photographs. I'm sorry, the, uh, the images are not terribly clear. Uh, the Internet doesn't always uh, have really good pictures uh, from the late 1970s and earlier. But Martin also appeared on a variety of popular television programs. He was on the Phil Donahue program. And Donahue, of course, was raised a Roman Catholic, and they got into discussion about uh, hell and purgatory and religious pluralism. And uh, I remember the program distinctly, watching it on television, and Martin was very powerful in uh, communicating the gospel to Phil Donahue and uh, his group of people there. So uh, Martin was a popular television person as well as a radio individual as well. Uh, Delving into a little bit of his past, he grew up in Brooklyn. He was a New Yorker. He was educated at Stony Brook School. That's where he took his high school diploma. He received degrees at Shelton College and New York University. Uh, in fact, uh, received a master's degree and uh, much of his doctrinal coursework was done at New York University. Uh, he received a doctoral degree at a college here in California after he moved from New York uh, to California. Martin was mentored and influenced in the Christian faith by such evangelical leaders as Frank Gabeline, Wilbur Smith, Donald Gray Barnhouse, and J. Oliver Buswell. Uh, a couple of these individuals are uh, distinguished Reformed theologians. Dr. Barnhouse was Presbyterian, as was Dr. Buswell. Um, Walter, at least since the late 1970s, was uh, pretty critical of Reformed theology. Uh, he and I used to have uh, debates, and uh, he felt that the Reformed view could not adequately explain the problem of evil. And so we would go back and forth on these various issues, but he was trained by some very careful Reformed thinkers. Uh, J. Oliver Buswell's Systematic Theology has been a standard text for many years, and of course Dr. Barnhouse 
uh, even though he held uh, certain dispensational distinctives, was broadly Calvinistic in his orientation. Wilbur Smith, of course, a very distinguished apologist who taught at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for for many, many years. Martin had some good people uh, teaching him and training him in his early years. Here are three photographs of three of the men that influenced Martin. Uh, Frank Gabeline uh, was the, uh, if I recall correctly, was the headmaster at Walter Martin's high school uh, in the early days. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the editor of Eternity magazine, and Martin wrote articles for Eternity for many years on cults and religious movements. Barnhouse encouraged Walter to develop the idea of the Bible Answer Man program. And the third individual there is J. Oliver Buswell, who uh, again has an influential systematic theology. Buswell was interesting in that he was a premillennialist. Now, most Presbyterians, most Reformed, are either all-millennial or post-millennial, but Buswell was a premillennialist. And you can kind of see how Martin was influenced in particular ways here. Uh, Martin uh, rejected dispensational premillennialism and was very fond of George Eldon Ladd, the New Testament scholar from Fuller Seminary. And so Martin was a premillennialist, uh, a historic premillennialist, believing that uh, Christ would return uh, after the tribulation period and that would inaugurate the, the millennial kingdom. And I think uh, he was influenced by these individuals there. While Martin was a Baptist and served in a number of Baptist churches in New York, later in life he became a charismatic, became closely associated with the charismatic movement. Uh, He was friends with a number of uh, leaders of Pentecostalism. In fact, the first time I became aware of Walter Martin His uh, Sunday morning Bible class, which had about 700 members when I first started attending, uh, it was uh, quite a place to come and and hear him speak and answer questions, was at the uh, Melodyland School of Theology, which was right across the street from Disneyland. And uh, Walter used to call it the serious side of uh, Disneyland. And uh, he was there for a number of years. He later then moved the Bible class to Newport Mesa Christian Center, which of course is right straight down the 55 freeway, uh, right near the beach there. And uh, Martin had his class there for a number of years. George Wood was the pastor of this Assembly of God Church. George Wood is now the superintendent of the entire Assemblies of God. So Martin was connected in the charismatic movement and knew uh, people who were sympathetic. Uh, to Pentecostalism. Uh, Martin didn't believe that speaking in tongues was the initial evidence, so he was a charismatic but was critical of some of the ideas that are identified with the Assembly of God. Here's a photograph of Martin not too long before uh, he died. Uh, Walter had a number of health problems throughout his life. He was a diabetic and uh, had circulation problems that were uh, connected with diabetes. Diabetes is is a, a pretty difficult uh, illness to combat, but uh, never seemed to stop him. He was always traveling, traveling around the world, speaking. Uh, I don't know how many days a year that he spoke, but uh, he was a man on the move, and he had a mission, 
had a message and he wanted to communicate it to people. Well, let me begin talking a little bit about some of the things that I appreciate about Walter Martin uh, by telling you uh, a story. And it begins with a question. How many of you have ever had a Jehovah's Witness knock at your door, by the way? I think all of us have uh, had that great privilege more than once. Uh, perhaps it's just me, but they always seem to come to my house at the most inconvenient of times. In fact, uh, uh, John Warwick Montgomery used to tell the story that uh, he would turn the bath water on and uh, put one leg in the bath and the phone would ring. And he'd have to get out of the bath and go talk with the person on the phone. And then when he was able to wrap that conversation up, he would go back to the bath, put his foot back in, the doorbell would ring, and it was a Jehovah's Witness at the door. Well, some of us uh, certainly know that uh, the witnesses are very ardent in their beliefs and very insistent. In fact, uh, I'm told that they have to keep a record of the time they spend witnessing to people uh, out on the street, but sometimes they can be a bit annoying. So one of the stories that I most liked about uh, Walter was when he turned the tables on Jehovah's Witnesses. This is the first time I ever heard about Walter Martin. And uh, here is one of his early books. This is a book I read very early in my Christian life about the Jehovah of the Watchtower. Jehovah of the Watchtower. Still uh, available, still a, a penetrating analysis of the theology of Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the Trinity, who deny Christ's deity, uh, who, who embrace uh, really an, an Aryan-like Christology, if you will. Well, the story is that Martin, who is a native New Yorker from New York City, went to the headquarters of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which is, of course, located in Brooklyn. They, by the way, they have a brand new building. And he knocked on the front door and began witnessing to them about Jesus Christ of historic Christianity. When I heard that story, I said to myself, I must work for that man. Anybody who would knock on the watchtower door and witness it to them was a person that I definitely wanted to get to know. Uh, here is a couple images of the watchtower building. And again, they have a brand new building. It is a pretty impressive building with lots of influence there in, in New York. Charles Taze Russell, of course, came from the East Coast, as did many of the 19th century religious leaders. Uh, other people, Joseph Smith. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy, uh, Ellen White, a number of uh, so-called prophetic individuals. Uh, and so Martin going and knocking on the door, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Martin had what my Jewish friends call chutzpah. And he really did. He had a great sense of humor. He was, uh, uh, he was uh, a person who was courageous and who was willing to take on any particular uh, theology that challenged historic Christianity. And I always admired him for that. I had the distinct privilege of working with him at the countercult organization he founded, CRI, the Christian Research Institute, in the late 1980s. Uh, I worked at CRI from early 1987 until the latter part of 1993. So for... About three full years I worked with Martin before he died. In light of the 20th anniversary of Martin's death, I'd like to share six things I learned from him uh, as, as an examples of a gifted and accomplished Christian apologist. 
These lessons have been enormously helpful in my own trek through the challenging Christian apologetic enterprise. First one that I want to begin with uh, is Martin's rhetorical eloquence. Uh, Like one of his favorite politicians, President Ronald Reagan, Martin was a great communicator. Uh, In fact, uh, in 1976, now my father has passed away, so I can admit this publicly, Uh, Don't hold it against me, but uh, I voted for Jimmy Carter in 1976. Uh, My parents voted only Democratic from uh, President Roosevelt's second term in office. And uh, I was told by my father that there would be no Republicans in heaven. Uh, He was uh, a World War II veteran and a, a liberal Democrat, of course, in those days, uh, that meant uh, quite a bit more. Uh, My father admired people like FDR and uh, Harry Truman and John F. Kennedy. Uh, But it was uh, it was Walter Martin who convinced me to vote for Ronald Reagan. And my father didn't speak to me for two weeks after that. But I converted to become a Republican in, in some measure because Martin began talking to me about a California governor named Ronald Reagan. Well, Martin was, uh, in some respects, like Reagan. He mastered the media venues of radio and television in order to convey the Christian message with clarity and intelligence and force. Martin was one of the finest public speakers I have ever heard, and I have heard many fine orators in the last 30 years of my life, Amazingly, Martin could speak extemporaneously and nevertheless speak in complete grammatically correct sentences. It was always a very hard act to follow, and I had to speak after him on a number of occasions, and I didn't look forward to it because he had such rhetorical eloquence. Uh, He also had a a, uh, bigger-than-life personality, a lot of humor uh, that went into that. While few of us can match Martin's gift and skill of rhetorical eloquence, his example challenged me to concentrate on speaking in a clear, concise, cogent, and compelling manner. I call this the four C's of communication. I encourage would-be apologists to work at sharpening their rhetorical skills. As Martin proved, eloquent speaking is a powerful vehicle in persuading people of the truth of the gospel. And so the idea of convincing people of the truth of Christianity involves persuasion. And persuasion, of course, involves rhetoric. And Martin was very, very skilled in that particular area. When he went on a television program, on a radio program, you could bet that Christianity was going to be presented in a thoughtful and intelligent way. Here's a photograph uh, right about the time when I met Walter Martin. Uh, I would say about 1978 was the first time I heard about him. Uh, I grew up in a nominally Roman Catholic family, Uh, went to Mass occasionally. I was not terribly devout, didn't understand Catholicism, didn't live according to Catholic ethics. Uh, But if you would have talked bad about Catholicism, I probably would have uh, taken a swing at you. I was kind of a cultural Catholic, if you will. And uh, one of my friends asked me to listen to a radio program uh, in 1978. It was the Bible Answer Man program, and I was immediately impressed by it. I was impressed with his knowledge of Scripture. I was impressed with his ability to communicate 
Christian truths. And uh, I began listening to Martin. And uh, it was through that process of meeting him, talking with him, reading about the history of the Christian faith, reading Luther uh, and other reformers that I decided uh, that I would embrace historic Protestantism. And I began seriously attending Martin's class, first at Melody Land and then later at the Newport Mesa Christian Center. When Walter died uh, after his death, for a time I was the leader of his Bible class, which was a real honor uh, to be the leader of Martin's class. I considered it to be uh, quite an honor to uh, teach the same people that he had taught for some time. The second lesson uh, is courage under fire. Courage is the classic virtue that I admire most. And that's probably why I greatly admire noble warriors. Courage is a rare trait both in the Christian church and outside of it. It's not easy to be courageous when you are under fire. And uh, Walter exhibited that. Martin exhibited a great deal of courage in his apologetic ministry. He wasn't afraid to take a tough stand on a controversial issue and live with the repercussions. Some people vigorously criticized Martin when he asserted that Seventh-day Adventism and Roman Catholicism shouldn't be classified as non-Christian cults. In fact, in the late 50s, Martin began studying Adventism, and at the time, Adventism was pretty much universally considered a cult like Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, Christian Science. Uh, In fact, uh, distinguished Reformed theologians such as Anthony Hukuma, J.K. Van Balen had categorized Adventism as a cult. And Barnhouse and Martin began some dialogues with the Adventists. And about 1957, they had a lengthy dialogue. And Martin came out with some articles in Eternity magazine and said, Adventism is a heterodox Christian church body and not a heretical cult. 25% of the subscribers to Eternity magazine turned in their uh, subscriptions. Now, let me ask you this. How many Christian organizations do you know who would be willing uh, to go out on a limb, even if it meant losing a quarter of their subscribers? Martin looked at the Adventist church and he said they believe in the Trinity. They haven't always believed in the Trinity, but uh, Ellen White kind of guided them in the direction of embracing the Trinity. Ellen White was raised as a Methodist, and I think some of her Christian intuitions began to influence her as, one, as the leading figure in Adventism. Uh, and Martin began talking with these Adventists, and there were many things he differed with them, thus they were considered heterodox but they were not considered an anti-Christian cult in his mind, and it set off quite a furor. Hukuma differed with him, Van Balen differed with him, Talbot differed with him, uh, quite a number of individuals. Gerstner differed with him. So there was quite a controversy swirling about this. Um, And, of course, Martin took a lot of heat because he didn't think Catholicism was a non-Christian cult. Now, for the record, Martin did not give either church body a clean bill of theological help. He criticized both belief systems, both Adventism and Catholicism. But Martin was willing to do his homework, and he was willing to absorb criticism from all sides. Uh, He was critical of Catholicism. He was a historic Protestant. 
but he didn't believe that Catholicism and Adventism should be classified in the same category as the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and and other particular groups. And that remained a bit of a controversy. Uh, As one of his research assistants, in fact, I was his research assistant on two primary groups, Adventism and Catholicism. And so I adopted and I defended Martin's view on Adventism and Catholicism, and accordingly, some of Martin's critics also publicly criticized my positions. While it's never easy for a Christian apologist to enter into the arena and take the heat, aspiring apologists need to know that facing criticism comes with the apologetic territory. If you are shy and you don't like to be criticized, then you probably don't want to uh, take your vocation as an apologist. Uh, We're talking about very important issues. We're talking about theological systems. We're talking about truth claims. And it's quite controversial. And so Martin took quite a lot of criticism, but I think in large measure he convinced evangelicals that he was right about Seventh-day Adventism. And uh, frankly, I don't think we would be here tonight except for Walter Martin, because I don't think the elders of Christ Reformed Church would would, uh, rent out and share a building with the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. But they have with the Seventh-day Adventists. And so Martin influenced an entire generation of people to take a second look at some of these particular groups. Again, Walter debated Mitchell Pacwa. He debated other Catholic scholars. Uh, Martin had some early Catholic influence, but he was historic Protestant. He just didn't think you could place Catholicism in the same category as some of the other cultic groups. Though he has a different temperament and labors in a different part of the apologetic vineyard, I think Hugh Ross, uh, who is my present boss, exhibits Martin-like courage in defending old earth creationism, which also ticks a lot of people off and causes quite a bit of controversy. Uh, Dr. Ross is uh, a little bit of a different personality, but uh, Martin himself affirmed old earth creationism long before it gained popular support. Uh, I learned my old earth thinking from Martin himself, Uh, Bernard Ram influenced Martin about the idea that we needed to rethink the idea of how old the earth was, the scientific evidence behind it. And so Martin was an old earther before old old earth creationism was popular. A little bit more about his courage. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints named Walter Martin their number one enemy in all of the history of Mormonism. Now think, Mormonism has had quite a bit of controversies uh, throughout its history. They considered Martin to be a real obstacle. Uh, Why? Because many people would read Martin's works and become convinced that Mormonism was not the truth and would leave the church. Every year he would go to Utah and give lectures. Uh, There were threats made by... uh, uh, People who were a little, I think, imbalanced, but Martin every year would go to to Utah. The black Muslims threatened Martin when he lectured at uh, here in Anaheim at Melody Land on the Nation of Islam. In fact, the Anaheim police told him, don't do it. Uh, Melody Land, if you remember, if you were there in those days, uh, had a circular stage and the Anaheim police tried to, to persuade Martin not to do it. 
because it, that was back in the days where there was quite a bit of uh, violence associated uh, with the nation of Islam. I remember the Jewish Journal accusing Martin of being anti-Semitic after his appearance on Dennis Prager's radio program, Religion on the Line. I remember writing uh, uh, letters for Martin to the Jewish Journal and asking for meetings. Uh, and that was quite a clash between Prager and Martin uh, that came out about uh, Jews and Christians. Uh, my friend who knows Dennis Prager very well said he'd never seen Prager so angry as when uh, Walter Martin was on his program. So there was quite a clash of worldviews uh, going on there. And uh, you can still go back and listen to that particular program. Here is a book uh, that uh, Martin wrote about Mormonism that was very influential uh, called The Maze of Mormonism. Uh, you know, Christian apologetics is best when Christians understand the belief system that they're critiquing so well that they have an inner knowledge of it that is similar to people who hold it. And that was true of Walter Martin. He had a deep understanding of Mormonism. He understood their sources. He understood their history, their scripture. Uh, that's what made him such a significant threat. Uh, he really took the time to understand the system and then was able to show the gaping holes uh, within Mormonism. A third apologetic lesson was uh, apologetic engagement. Martin was no armchair apologist. He boldly critiqued the theological views of such heretical sects as Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Christian science. And he stood ready to debate the able apologists of these groups. He believed in and practiced honest and public apologetic engagement. Martin believed in interacting with the religious groups that he wrote about. He arranged a meeting with the leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination in the late 1950s when he had questions about their distinctive doctrinal views. He could have easily written his books without interacting with such people, but instead he modeled one of the golden rules of apologetics. Quote, treat other people's views the way you want yours treated, unquote. In other words, represent the views of other religious bodies fairly and accurately by going directly to the source. What if Christians only wrote and critiqued other religious groups if they were willing to stand up in public and defend what they had written about these other particular groups? I can tell you that there are apologists who write as armchair apologists, but they would never dare go into a public debate and defend those positions. Martin was willing to do it. In fact, he insisted on it. And I appreciated that about him. Martin's groundbreaking book, The, Seven, the Truth About Seventh-day Adventism, challenged the way an entire generation of evangelicals came to view that particular sect. Many Adventist leaders and theologians have told me personally how much they appreciated Martin's willingness to dialogue. I don't think most Christian organizations today would even be willing to come out and reverse themselves if it knew that they might lose money. I don't think most Christian magazines or journals would have the courage to do what Barnhouse and Martin did. Uh, because, frankly, too many Christians care more about the status quo, keeping the money coming into the particular organization. A fourth apologetic lesson that I've learned from Martin was questions and answers. Uh, 
As an educator, Martin valued what philosophers call the Socratic method. Of course, the Socratic method is a probing question and answer approach to exploring critical issues. Martin understood this technique is a fundamental part of any sound, instructive enterprise, and answering people's questions is also an important part of the Christian apologetic venture. In fact, all we need to do is go to 1 Peter 3.15. Peter writes, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, Martin believed in giving to every man an answer, a reasonable answer as to the truth of historic Christianity and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Learning from Martin, I've made the question and answer approach to apologetics a regular part of my teaching ministry. In my church class, some of you, of course, uh, come to this church, Christ Reformed Church. I always devote the first half of the class to answering such queries It is, in my opinion, very important that people in the church have a venue to pose questions. I have read over the last uh, 20 years that 70% of the people who joined the Mormon church were at one time in an evangelical church. Probably a similar number of Jehovah's Witnesses were at one time Roman Catholic. Whatever you think about Catholicism, they do affirm the Trinity and Christ's deity. What is it that people are not learning? that would make them susceptible to groups that are sub-Christian. I, uh, after leaving the Christian Research Institute, decided that the best way of keeping people out of cults is teaching Christians so that they'll never go into them. And that's giving them opportunities to ask questions, to talk about Christian truth claims and Christian doctrine. And I learned all of that from Walter Martin. I'm proud to represent, in a small and modest way, the continuing legacy of one of the most distinctive Christian apologists of the 20th century, Walter Ralston Martin. Here's a book that he edited. I think most of the writing was done by the researchers, but it was The New Cults. This book came out in the late 70s. Uh, This was a time when a lot of the Eastern religious mysticism had come to the West, the 1960s, transcendental meditation, uh, Hare Krishna, uh, many of these particular groups. And though, so this is a book written by many of the researchers at the time, edited by Martin, uh, that critiqued what were called the new cults, these various movements from India and uh, other places. A fifth apologetic lesson is uh, that that. Martin majored in the theological majors. Martin talked constantly about what he called essential Christian doctrine, quote-unquote. He insisted that believers learn critical tenets such as the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Atonement, and the Resurrection. He appreciated the role creeds and confessions have played throughout church history in teaching believers the theological essentials. Here is a book... This is the first book I ever read by Walter Martin. It's called Essential Christianity. How many of you have read Essential Christianity? A couple of you. I read this book so many times and underlined it that the pages started falling out of the book. I read it and reread it and reread it. I checked all of the passages of Scripture 
uh, in this particular book. It had a chapter on the Trinity, a chapter on the person and nature of Christ, a chapter on the Holy Spirit, a chapter on the atonement. I literally cut my teeth reading this book. And uh, I remember the first time this was, uh, this was before I met Walter Martin. I was uh, playing basketball at a park in Lakewood. And one of the fellows I was playing with, uh, who was an awfully good basketball player, almost as good as me, by the way. And uh, the fellow ended up being a Jehovah's Witness. So after the game, we sat down for a couple hours and began talking. And I'll tell you, I knew that the Bible taught the Trinity and the deity of Christ. And I knew there was an eternal hell. But this Jehovah's Witness was really sharp. And he tied me up like a, a, a pretzel. He counter-checked me everywhere that I went. I felt humiliated. And I remember going home that night and saying to the Lord uh, on my knees as I was doing my evening prayers, Lord, I will never allow that to happen to me again with your help. And it was this book that really revolutionized my doctrinal life. Um, Essential Christianity. The essential elements of Christianity. It is still a, a very, very important work. Uh, this book had an influence on my own writing of a book called Without a Doubt, which also looks at many of the essential doctrines. So I still have this book in my library, but I have to be careful with it or the pages will begin falling out. Wisely, Martin kept his apologetic views closely tied to a sound and robust biblical theology. He also valued the other branches within the formal study of theology, including historical, philosophical, and systematic theology. Martin was both an apologist and a theologian. I learned from Walter Martin that apologists must also be theologians. With this insight in mind, I've encouraged apologists with specialized backgrounds or focuses in other disciplines, such as history, philosophy, science, literature, etc., to wed their field to historic Christian theology. You know, in my day, I have met a number of people who know Mormonism really, really well. I've met many people who know Jehovah's Witnesses' doctrine really, really well. But often they don't know their own faith very well. Apologists need to be theologians. Apologists need to be able to go back to the historic Christian faith. They need to know their way around the Bible. They need to study, they need to think, they need to reflect. Apologists, of course, can't be experts in every area. But they must invest their time and energy in studying scripture and in learning the doctrinal truths derived from the biblical text. And all of that I learned from Walter Martin. He taught me all of that first before I ever heard it anyplace else. The sixth and final lesson I'd like to talk a little bit about this evening is aligning your head and your heart. Walter Martin was a brilliant thinker. I think he was a genius. He was a brilliant researcher and a scholar. He rigorously pursued the life of the mind himself, and he critiqued the anti-intellectualism that pervaded quarters of the Christian church of his day. He was always critical of those in the charismatic and Pentecostal movements who had a very emotional faith arguing that they needed to test all of their experiences by Scripture and that they needed to use the good judgment, the good reason that God had given them. 
He encouraged, he encouraged intellectual rigor, analysis, and renew. He personally challenged and inspired me to also pursue the life of the mind of the glory of God, which of course is that next class I will be taking next week, developing the life of the mind to the glory of God. For Martin, reason was the good gift given to the creatures God had made in his expressed image. And if God had made us in his image and had given us these intellectual abilities, then we needed to be people who reflected that idea. Here is a photograph of uh, Martin a little bit later in his, his life. Um, I always had a good time working with him at CRI. There were a couple times he got mad at me, and uh, that was not easy to take his, uh, his anger. Uh, I never enjoyed being on the receiving end of Walter's uh, critical comments, but he was also, uh, also very encouraging. Martin also believed that Christians must align both head and heart in devotion to the Lord. He believed that Christ's followers are saved solely by grace, through faith alone, but were called to live a life of gratitude and holy service to God. Martin lived out his spiritual convictions through prayer and strong devotion to the Lord. Martin was a sinner. He made mistakes in his life. He made misjudgments. He was not a perfect person. He needed grace and forgiveness like all of us did. Uh, but he was very sincere about his Christian commitments and about his love for God and his desire to help the church grow in faith. In fact, in the late 1980s, my wife became the victim of a violent crime. Uh, we were living here in Anaheim at the time. Fortunately, she wasn't seriously injured, but both she and I were emotionally jarred by the event. Martin prayed with me and encouraged me in my walk with the Lord during that difficult period. I was asking myself questions. Lord, here I am serving you. Uh, I could become a lawyer and make lots of money, but I've decided to devote my life to serving you as an apologist. And how is it possible that evil could impact me this way? And I remember going into Martin's office and telling him that I was troubled by this, concerned about it, felt emotionally wounded by it all, and he prayed with me talked with me about it. He offered me loving support at a time when I really needed it. Walter was a spiritual father to me, and, to, and 20 years after his death, I still remember him fondly, and I miss his larger-than-life personality. I remember uh, teaching his class after he passed away, and I gave a talk one day, and a lady came up to me, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, You're no Walter Martin. To which I said, tell me something I don't know. Walter Martin was the father of the countercult movement within evangelicalism and wrote the definitive work on the American-based cults, the kingdom of the cults. He inspired many young men and women to defend the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. In fact, Martin's personalized license plate on his car appropriately read Jude 3. Whenever I read that great passage, uh, Jude 3, I think of Walter Martin. Jude says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The truth has been given to the church. There isn't any other extra 
biblical books. There are no other prophets. The church has been given the truth. It's been entrusted to the saints. And believers who serve as apologists need to contend, fight, stand up for the Christian faith. Martin did that very well. Here is uh, the first apologetic study Bible I've ever seen. It was in the late 1970s, published by Zondervan. It was entitled Walter Martin's Colts Reference Bible. Any of you have one of those, by the way? You can read through it, and it has uh, all of the passages that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons pull out of context. It has comments and things like that. I remember going through it and reviewing it back and forth. Uh, The King James Version is the uh, translation in the Martin's Colts Reference Bible. Now apologetic study Bibles are pretty common. There have been a couple that have come out just the last couple years. So Martin was kind of ahead of his time there. Let me make just a couple personal comments about Walter, and then I'll uh, bring my talk to an end and give you an opportunity to uh, ask a question or make a comment. One of the things that I miss most about Walter Martin was his marvelous sense of humor. In describing morally corrupt people, he once quipped, quote, some people are so crooked that when they die, they'll have to screw them into the ground, unquote. I'll never forget that line. Uh, Part of Martin's appeal was his larger-than-life personality. If he hadn't been a distinguished theologian and apologist, he could have easily been a professional entertainer. And I think he really wanted to be an actor uh, or the heavyweight champion of the world. That was the two things that Martin really liked. He wanted to be an entertainer, or he wanted to be a professional prize fighter. Uh, As a young believer, I learned my basic views on Christian theology and apologetics from Walter Martin. I even remember calling the Bible Answer Man radio program and speaking with Martin on the air. I remember how nervous I was when I got a chance to talk to Walter Martin. It was just quite an honor to talk with someone. He was the first Christian intellectual I ever met. He was the boldest defender of the faith that I had ever come across. And I remember thinking as a young Christian when I would be faced with a tough issue, what would Walter Martin do? How would Martin address that kind of thing? So I'm very passionate about Martin. Um, I feel very strongly about him. Uh, I I wish more of his uh, students would have uh, commemorated the passing uh, of 20 years ago. Uh, He meant a lot to me at a time in which I was first developing my, my Christian views. Ironically, after Martin's untimely death, I co-hosted the same program for a time, and people asked me questions that I had once asked of Martin himself. Bible Answer Man was not an easy show to do. One question would be about some obscure cult in somebody's backyard in uh, Montana, and then the next question would be parsing some Greek word. So it was a a very challenging uh, show, but Martin always did it well. He made a a tough job seem very easy. Two of my favorite books by Walter Martin include Essential Christianity and Screwtape Writes Again. Screwtape Writes Again was Martin kind of writing another edition to the Screwtape Letters written by C.S. Lewis. So Martin was influenced by Lewis. Here are those two books. Uh, I don't think either one of these books are still in print. Uh, though you might be able to find them on Amazon or maybe a used bookstore, but they are both really very, very good. I think C.S. Lewis and Walter Martin 
understood the world of the demonic probably as well as any Christian thinker ever. And Screwtape writes again is also very, very humorous uh, about how devils tempt Christian people. Very well done. Walter Martin was an, an apologetics pugilist. Pugilist, which means a fighter. In fact, he greatly admired the famous boxer Rocky Marciano, who was also his personal friend. Uh, To my knowledge, Marciano is the only heavyweight who was never defeated. I think 49 straight victories. Came out of New York, an Italian. Martin and him met. So Martin kind of uh, uh, imagined himself uh, a heavyweight boxer. Kind of brought that mentality to apologetics. Martin once said that when the angel of death comes for me, I will challenge him to two out of three falls. And I'll bet he did just that. He was quite a remarkable person. Uh, I wrote a series of articles, three articles that are available uh, on the web. All you need to do is uh, type in uh, remembering Walter Martin or in memory of Walter Martin. I wrote three articles. And uh, much of the content you're hearing tonight, I sent it to uh, Jill Ritchie, who is Martin's oldest daughter, who also has an apologetics ministry. And uh, she sent me a nice email. She said, uh, thank you so much for the wonderful articles in memory of my dad. So eloquent and very touching. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I will send the link to Darlene, which is Walter's widow. And the rest of the family, I hope you don't mind, but I posted the first part of in my blog with a link to your site. So you can go on Jill's site, um, waltermartinreligious.net, and uh, you can read the articles and you can hear about Walter's oldest daughter who is uh, carrying on the family tradition. Here is a new book that uh, Jill Ritchie took a lot of Walter Martin's sermons and turned it into a book about Christian doctrine and Christian theology. And so you can, you can read uh, a very up-to-date book. Here is a photograph of Martin and Darlene. Um, Walter was very affectionate toward his wife. Uh, he used to say, uh, his wife Darlene, and he said it affectionately, she who must be obeyed. Uh, Darlene was the best thing that ever happened to Walter Martin. Uh, She'd come in the office, and if he hadn't taken his insulin, she would be on his case. Uh, I think she was just uh, really terrific for him. She's still living, and uh, his Walter's second wife. Uh, Walter had, uh, I believe, five children, four by the first marriage, one by the second. And uh, he was very affectionate about his kids. He loved his kids. For more information about Walter Martin's books and taped lectures, and I should say something about his taped lectures, I listened to so many of his tapes over and over and over until they kind of became part of my own vocabulary. These tapes are still available. Some parts of the country you can still hear some of his lectures. But if you want more information about his books and tapes and things, you can go to Walter Martin's Religious Info Net. I don't think I got that correct earlier. Walter Martin's Religious Info Net. Well, let me, let me close there. Uh, and I'd like to give you an opportunity to ask a question. And so I'm wondering if we have a hot microphone. Do we have a mic that we can make available? 
you, you have to come and speak in the microphone so that we can hear your question. And so I can look in your beady eyes and really see what your motivation is. No. Uh, that's something Walter Martin used to say, by the way. Um, okay, who'd like to come and ask a question or comment? I, uh, I'm a Calvinist, but I, I like to say that I'm one of those nice Calvinists. Hard to find, but uh, you found one in me, so don't, don't feel uh, intimidated. C- come, on, come on up to the mic. I don't have a question, but I have a Walter Martin memory. Okay. I was driving home from work one night. It was probably the late 70s or early 80s when he was on KYMS here. And he was, uh, I think, answering a listener's question about Mormonism. And this listener said, my Mormon friend says that God was an exalted or is an exalted man because he has nostrils and he has the arm of the Lord and, and all these anatomical characteristics. And therefore, he must have been a man at one time. And Walter Martin didn't blink an eye. And he pulled from uh, Psalm 91, verse 4. It says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Therefore, God is an exalted chicken. <laughs> and that stuck with me for it's probably been 30 years now. He was uh, quite a character. Uh, I loved his sense of humor. Uh, he would say that he grew up in the streets of New York City, and there are only two types of people in New York, the quick and the dead. If you weren't quick, you were going to be dead. He had that, uh, that chutzpah, that ability to, to come up with that kind of line. And, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't easy to follow him. Uh, I'd, I'd give a talk after his, and I always felt really self-conscious about it because he was uh, such, a, such a character. But that, that's a great line. Thank you for, for sharing that. Anybody else? Question, comment about Walter Martin? I think about the traditional learned professions like uh, doctors, lawyers, ministers. At one time, it was kind of a one-size-fits-all, and just over decades and centuries, those have all become very specialized where you don't have general practitioners. But So I, I appreciate what you've shared and the, the six lessons I think we can all learn from. But uh, as a Christian apologist, you know, to whatever degree each of us is, has it become very specialized? I mean, uh, I mean, you, Ross, for example, uh, you have very broad knowledge, but he's science apologetics, and I, I think he's, you know, really reasons to believe I think he's the best out there as far as doing that. But uh, it's very specialized, though. It kind of focuses on that. You kind of round out the team with the more theology and philosophy side. And uh, today, with things so specialized and so varied, is it? Uh, I think we can all learn from these six lessons, but... Can we, you know, can any of us really be that well-rounded or do we have to kind of have some general things down and then specialize in a certain area of apologetics, whether it's philosophy or science or bioethics or, you know, whatever? I think you're absolutely right. Uh, We live in a world, and science is probably the best example of how knowledge increases so quickly and so rapidly I mean, I work with a number of Ph.D. scientists and, uh, you know, a person will ask something about astrophysics and, you know, the chemist and the biologist feel like, oh, I couldn't answer that. And then there is a question about biochemistry and the, the, you know, the the physicists, well, you'd have to ask somebody who's more specialized. So even in the area of science, uh, 
you know, specialization comes very quickly and, and very easily. I think it's difficult to be an apologist. Uh, I don't think that we can know everything. I think it probably is a very good idea to have some area of primary specialization. It's good to have a, to be a generalist. It's good to be kind of a jack of all trades. Uh, you know, sometimes it is it is very helpful to be able to integrate your area of apologetic specialization with theology. Uh, for me, it's been philosophy and theology. Uh, you know, but uh, there's also history and all of these, and now literature uh, has become a very popular area of apologetics. Think of the popularity of C.S. Lewis's fictional writings, uh, to say nothing of his, you know, his uh, nonfiction. I think it is important that a person either be, have a strong background in science or a strong background in history or philosophy. Um, but I think the ability to, to at least engage the important general areas that people ask. My book, without a doubt, uh, the origin of that book is I started teaching courses in philosophy and world religions at Cerritos Community College in Norwalk here in Southern California. And I taught there for about 10 years. And year after year, students would inevitably discover that I was a Christian and they'd ask me questions. And they were really the same questions over and over again. And so my book, without a doubt, answering the 20 toughest faith questions, I think even though we need to kind of specialize in life as an apologist, we can kind of generalize by understanding what are the broad categories in the areas. But it, it's tough. It, 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 it's a, it's, I've learned a lot about science working at Reasons to Believe. It's been a tremendous eye-opener and educator doing that. But there is the other areas of apologetics. Cult studies are very specialized. You know, I know a bit about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, but somebody, some people live their entire adult lives doing nothing but studying those particular groups. So it's very specialized. Of course, there are, there are New Testament issues, the historic Jesus, liberal ways of thinking. It is, a, it is a challenge, but I think whatever dedication we bring to it and whatever sacrifice we make, the Lord will bless it. And the Lord certainly blessed Walter Martin's ministry. And I wonder if his most important contribution was not necessarily any of the things I touched upon tonight, as it was the people that he fired up to go on in that field. And I think probably something similar is true about Hugh Ross. Hugh has motivated a lot of people to go back and study science and to wed it with their understanding of Christianity. So, great question. It is intimidating to be an apologist, but I don't think there are, there are few more important tasks. Uh, we live at a time when people have lots of questions and doubts about the faith, and we need people who can give good answers. And you don't have to be a professional apologist to engage in apologetics. So, great question. Anybody else got a mic up here if you'd like to come up, ask a question, make a comment? Very simply put, you have someone like Dr. Martin who used his mind to answer questions, broad number of questions. Contrast that with 
the power of the gospel. And I, you know, rhetorically, there's a, there's a question that I have about, is there a danger in how much we offer as a solution versus truly relying on God to teach? Yeah, Jim, I think I understand the, the gist of your question. I was at Cerritos College a number of years ago and two Hindu uh, students walked into my class who were part of my class, stayed late. I was really tired, wasn't feeling well, wanted to drive home and kind of wanted to brush them off because, uh, you know, ask me next time. And they insisted that I contrast the differences between Jesus Christ and Krishna. So I spent... 20 minutes talking with them about the differences. And then they looked at me and said, I think I'd like to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I I thought to myself, surely you have some objections that you want me to respond to. But no, they just said, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about the gospel. And I was stunned how open they were. I mean, there is a large number of Indian people that live in my old neighborhood of uh, Artesia, Cerritos, Norwalk area. And these young women had uh, come from India and were open to the gospel. I think your point is, is a good one. Many of us who are very cerebral, who would rather uh, read a book than pray, or read a book about prayer <laughs> than pray, um, I think there is always a need to recognize that It is not arguments in and of themselves that persuade people. It is the Holy Spirit, by his grace, that uses arguments to persuade people. And I have, I I remember teaching at a college in Los Angeles, and the chairman of the philosophy department was an atheist. And I had conflicts with him. And when I left to work at Reasons to Believe, Uh, Hugh Ross called him up. He was checking up on all my previous employers. And the chairman said, uh, Ken Samples makes me think I might want to become a Christian. Well, when Hugh told me that, after I got up off the floor from shock, because I thought the guy didn't like me, I thought there was always a clash, I began to realize that persuasion is more than merely the intellectual presentation of the ideas. It was also trying to model my Christian value system, Uh, going to work every day, being on time, being responsible, being a good teacher. I think there are always times when some of us feel that, you know, you get the best argument, you can persuade anyone, when the reality is that persuasion ultimately, the, the change in a person's heart and mind, is something that only God does. But but do not think that God doesn't use arguments. I mean, C.S. Lewis's arguments really did a number on me. Uh, the Spirit took Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, and began to change the way I thought in my mind. And so, what I liked about Walter Martin was he was also a preacher. He was also a teacher. He insisted on preaching and teaching the word of God. And uh, he believed that God's word did not come back void. 
And, you know, the show was the Bible answer. And the focus was on the Bible. The focus was on Jesus Christ. And I, I think that's uh, that's a very important element. It's also important, if I might say, having known many of the finest apologists over the last 30 years, sometimes apologists end up at the end of their life divorced, alienated from their family. Uh, some of them end up being jerks. And so if if Christianity is merely a bunch of ideas, if that's all it is, then I think the apologist has missed something very deep. And Martin was not a perfect person. He had family issues. Um, he was kind of a rough, tough, gruff character. Um, probably not the most sensitive or compassionate at times, but there was no doubt Walter Martin was a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And he wanted his life uh, to echo the, the truth of the gospel. And, you know, the, it's been 20 years since he's passed away, and uh, I think it's very important to honor people who have blessed you. Uh, I always go, to, whenever I can, in fact, I will never turn down an opportunity to go to the funeral of one of my friends. I will do everything I can, because if you go to other people's funerals, they'll come to your funeral. That was uh, one of my favorite uh, baseball players, Yogi Berra, who, by the way, was at D-Day. We often think of Yogi Berra, the three MVPs for the New York Yankees, whose stats are better than Johnny Bench, but he was also in World War II and also an insightful philosopher. Um, the reason that I go to people's funerals is because I believe that we have a responsibility to honor people who have taught us, who have helped us, who have worked with us. And uh, quite candidly, I have a very modest, I think, apologetic ministry. Uh, my talents, I don't think, are quite as sharp as Walter's ever were. But I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing. I don't think I'd be writing books. I don't think I'd be giving lectures uh, around the country if it were not for Walter Martin. I think God used him uh, to impact me. And... Um, I believe it's important to honor our fathers and our mothers and the people who are spiritual fathers. And I, Jim, I think Walter had a good, a good balance of mind and heart. Mind and heart. Anybody else comment, question on the Bible answer man, Walter Martin? Okay, let me remind you that I'm very excited about next week's class. Uh, I think it was almost six years ago I was teaching that class when I fell ill and was hospitalized and almost died. So I'm hoping that won't happen again. But that was quite an exciting event. Um, I really enjoy teaching this class. And again, I want to tell you, there, there aren't many books that change my life. Uh, how to read a book changed my intellectual life. I had the great privilege of getting to talk with Mortimer Adler right before he died via email. And I told Professor Adler, I told him how much his books had meant to me. I told him how his books had, had influenced the way I educated my children. And he sent me back an email and said, you've made my day. 
And I was, I was thrilled to get such an email from such a brilliant man. I consider Mortimer Adler the most educated person of the 20th century. I mean, think about his life. He edited the Encyclopedia Britannica. He wrote 60 books. He is the editor of the great books of the Western world. Uh, it's hard to match. It's hard to suggest that there would be a more thoughtful, educated reformer than Mortimer J. Adler. And uh, he, had a, he had a big influence on returning people to the classics. So we're going to use his book. We're also going to use my book. Adler says that 99% of the books are not worth reading. But I think my book would be in the 1%. <laughs> he didn't tell me that, but I, I kind of got the feeling. We're going to look at uh, reading. We're going to look at logic. We're going to look at, uh, at thinking and communicating. It's a great book for homeschooling people. It's a great book for teachers. It's a great course for people who want to learn how to read better and think more critically. And we got some great books in the back table for $12, which will be the best $12 you've ever invested. And my book is back there for 16 not even as good as Adler's, but it's, uh, but it's more expensive. So let me close by inviting you, and I hope you'll invite others, but let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your many graces that come especially through your Son and the Holy Spirit. But Lord, we also thank you for the many people in our lives who have helped us along the way, who have taught us about the gospel. Our parents, our teachers, our pastors, our Sunday school teachers, Christian apologists and thinkers who have helped us to have a greater commitment to you. Lord, help us to honor people uh, who have served to help us come to know you so much more. We ask a great blessing this evening on Martin's family, upon Darlene, upon Martin's kids. And Lord, we ask a great blessing upon ourselves as we try to emulate those who teach us in the faith. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.